0: is from exodus chapter 34 verses 1 to 16 the lord said to moses chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and i will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke be ready in the morning and then come up on mount sinai present yourself to me there on top of the mountain no one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars. Smash their sacred stones and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. And the second reading is from 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and ask God to give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols.
1: God intervened in a particular way among a particular people. And we kind of picked up the story after they'd been rescued out of bondage to slavery in Egypt. And God had done these miraculous signs and wonders. And he brought them out of captivity, and they were on the journey towards the promised land. And first thing he does is wants to bring them out to Sinai to meet with them. But they're afraid of him. They don't want to hear him. They don't want to speak with him. They don't really know who he is yet. They've experienced his deliverance. And so they're afraid, they're afraid actually, to approach God. So they said this and things didn't go well whilst he was away. Remember this story. In fact, they go on to make up their own God. They kind of throw this stuff in the fire and out pops a God of gold. And as Moses comes down, he breaks the tablets, representing the covenant God wanted to establish with them. But did that stop God? No, God persevered in his love. And he invites Moses to come back up the the mountain And he reminds him, he says, and bring two new tablets, which remember, you bust the old ones. Don't you like that about God? As if Moses didn't know that. I love that they put that in the text. And as Moses is invited up to meet with him, God reveals himself afresh. Moses has this desire to see the glory of God, and what God shows to him is the revelation of his character. This is in the Old Testament. This is as God is first revealing himself to a people. And who is he? This God of the old covenant. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is the revelation. This is who God is. This is good news. That he is a God who makes and keeps covenant, the very thing we struggle with so much. But God, by his very nature, as defined by John, is love and he can do no other. And he promises these wonderful works, he's already done wonderful works, he's delivered them from bondage. He's gonna do even more wonderful works in the land as he provides this land flowing with milk and honey. Houses that they didn't build, vineyards that they didn't plant, the fruit of the land. It's a physical picture of what will be the ultimate provision of new life in his son. But it's wondrous. It's delightful. It is all gift. And he says, nations will see this. This is not just for you, For you shall be a light to the nations. This is the calling of Israel. It's always been the calling of the people of God. But he says, beware this one thing, idolatry. You can't share them. Beware mixed marriage, mixing the covenants. You see, this is a wonderful story of God intervening in his creation, out of his love. But it's our story, isn't it? We all see parts of our own story in the bigger story. At least we should. I hope you can. Well, fast forward, if you... 100 years, about 1,500, from roughly those episodes. And God is doing a new thing. But in those 1,500 years from entering the land, there's kind of a mixed response. They're with God, they're against God. They're with him, they're against him. They want a king because God isn't enough. They want to be like the nations, and God set them apart from the nations. But we want to be like the rest of the people on the earth. And so God gives them a king. Most of them are rubbish. Because they're human, there's division in the land. The tribes are at war with one another. And the Northern Kingdom never has a godly king. And they're led to exile, they lose the land, they lose the temple, they lose the presence of God seemingly. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land is the cry of the people of God in exile, outside of the covenant, you see, outside of the promise of blessing within the land. Because covenant is important, it was then and it is today. And they're overrun, and even in our reading in this contemporary setting of the first century, they're still overrun, those Romans in Latin. Never wanted to learn Latin, I threw five years of Latin. I used to say, first he kills the Romans, now it's killing us. However, it did serve me well in my language studies. But in all of that terrible history, still God is love and at work, wooing and drawing and anticipating the people who would respond to him. Get that. This is what slow to anger is about. This is what being full of compassion and grace is about. He's still at it. It's amazing. And so we're now in the era where he sent his own son who's died because he was crucified by these same rulers. But still in the midst of that, there's a line in one of the songs we sang about turning our ruins into something wondrous because of the beauty of his name. It's the cross. Of course it's the cross. Everything's about the cross. And the cross is about everything. And so, through the new covenant established because of the cross and the resurrection, shed blood, we're invited again into covenant love, and the new thing, the new identity, the rebirth, the giving of the spirit, the fullness, the Lord has always wanted for his people and never thrust it upon them. So that's the intro, let's get into the main course. Covenant leads to heart change. It should cause us to want to remain in Jesus. It should cause us to want to know him and to pursue him. So much so, for oh, believers who seem to be drifting away, we would want to help draw them back, because where would you want to go? Other than remain and abiding in his word. His teaching, you know, I'm, I'm reading, reading a book on Genesis by um, uh, the ex-chief rabbi of the UK. It's a fascinating book. Love it. And I just read yesterday in the Torah, the first five books, the Pentateuch, where there are <clears throat> 613 commandments given to the people of God. There is no word for obey. You see, God doesn't demand obedience. He invites a response of love. He's not a dictator. I love that. Don't you love that? But he is the Lord. And he's called us to follow the example of his son. And he's called us to make other disciples, others who would learn from and be changed by The working of the Holy Spirit to bring us into conformity to his Son. Why? Because that's where our blessing is. That's where fullness is found. That's where we enjoy the land, our salvation. It's not just salvation from something. It's salvation for the Spirit-empowered life as a light to the nations. So, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. How do we know? What, 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 what does all this mean? It's kind of confusing. Because there is a sin that leads to death, and a sin that doesn't lead to death. Didn't Jesus die for all sins? Well, I'm not sure. Totally, but... interesting, what we read under the old covenant in the book of the law, Torah, and particularly in the book of Numbers and Leviticus, is that the sacrificial system made provision of forgiveness for sin that was unintentional, not deliberate. Do you know what happened to those who sinned intentionally, deliberately resisting the will of God? says this in Numbers 15, anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreigner, blasphemes the Lord and must be put out from the people of Israel. You see, that's to be put outside of the covenant. It's outside of the blessing, the favor, the life. And they're to be put outside of that place because they have intentionally blasphemed against God. They have despised the Lord's word and broken his commands. They must surely be cut off. Their guilt remains on them. You see, I think the Lord looks at the heart and he looks at the intent of the heart and where we slip up and where we mistakenly and out of wrong motive at times, but are convicted and return and repent and confess our sins as we're told, confess your sins, pray for one another. You shall be healed. This is praying for one another. But when as seemingly Christ followers, we have no concern for the word of God, we're in a dangerous place. Israel lost the land. They were put out in exile outside the covenant. Let's not trifle with that. But it's always by invitation. It's it's love, you see. And therefore, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to change. Covenant also keeps us safe. Covenant is our protection. The one who was raised will keep us safe. And we need to realize that we live still in a world that is under the control, John has gone on to say, of the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Jesus told us to pray like this. Why? Because there is an adversary. Last Sunday evening, we explored some of his schemes and wiles. I encourage you to go and listen to that. It's available online. It's important we understand, understand that. But covenant, trusting, walking with, resting in the promises of God is what keeps us safe or it's meant to. You know, Paul at one stage, is, one stage talks about people deliberately rebelling against the ways of God. Then he says, I handed them over to Satan. And we think, what? Are we in collaboration with Satan? No, I think this is a picture of, if there's, if there's not a yieldedness, then that person is in a dangerous place and they are dangerous not only to themselves, but to the community as well. You see, the wounded person who remains wounded wounds others. We cannot function as a community defined by love if we stay as a victim Always the victim, always excusing our behavior because we're broken. It's true we're broken, but we're being redeemed. Are we pursuing and seeking after the one we've sung about? Do we know his touch and his transforming work because we're yielding to the spirit in us and the spirit in the community of believers? This is the typical picture of the church, but it's not always been what the world has seen. Covenant strengthens us in prayer. Covenant strengthens us in prayer. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. These are words that are echoed in jesus 's words of john 's gospel, fourteen through fifteen and he said, slightly confused because well god doesn 't seem to answer my prayers. If we know that He hears us, we know we have what we asked of Him. You know, prayer primarily is to change you, not God. It's to bring you into alignment which, of what you already have. Because it, it's already yours in His Son. It's to bring us into conformity to Him. And His way, which is a way upon the earth of Cross. And it's an uncomfortable way. But God sets boundaries. Talking this week about boundaries. God cannot bless everything, anything. But he wants to bless everyone. But it's as we bring ourselves into conformity with his will because our hearts have been touched in love and we think, where else can we or do we want to go? Some of you... Um, <clears throat> reminded me, I did Alpha numerous times, the Alpha course. Nicky Gumbel tells a story of going to referee a game of kids playing soccer, and he arrives, they've already started, but there's, there's no pitch marked out, and no goals, and the kids are just running wild, and it's crazy. So the first thing he does, he pulls them all together, he divides them into teams, he gives one a, a sort of a, a different uniform, if they, set a, they set the corners in place and the goals, and all of a sudden the kids start to enjoy it. Because kids need boundaries. We all need boundaries. Anything doesn't go. It never has done. And God has defined the boundary for us. It's his covenant. It says, love me. And love one another. I mean, it's a pretty broad boundary, isn't it? Let's face it. But you see, just like in the garden, when everything was given to Adam and Eve, we still wanted the one thing that was prohibited. And we fall prey to that. Sadly. When we learn to live within the covenant, knowing the Father, which is the fruit of the Spirit in us, by Him we cry, Abba, Father, resting in the knowledge that we are beloved, children of God, with a good father who longs to give good gifts, with one in Jesus who is like a brother, like a friend, but he's the Lord of glory. But he's with us and he's for us, and he's not withheld anything for, from us. That should give us boldness and confidence in our prayer that we can enter in, as the right Hebrew Hebrews says, with confidence into the most holy place, the throne room. And there we find Jesus already interceding for us. And power flows from relationship. It's not about being right. It's about being righteous, right relationship. In Christ. In the Father. And the Father in us. And all of Jesus' power and authority flowed from being in the Father. He said, I can't do anything. But the Father. But that is the best place. And the works. That we will do flow from the Father who's given authority to the Son, who extends his authority to us through the working of the Spirit, and he says, "Go in my name. represent me and my authority and my power, because you're completely me. But understand you're coming up against principalious powers. Don't get too excited about that. Get excited about that you're in me, and you're in the Father, and the Father is in you and you are his children. Finally, covenant brings a new understanding, hopefully fresh revelation. His vision, we see him because of covenant. Our eyes are opened increasingly to more truth. It's not all done for us the moment we turn to Christ, become a Christian. God constantly prays for the church that they would have greater wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. They would grow in his love, grow in this relationship. Grow in our understanding. Be transformed through the renewing of your understanding, your mind. Truth and light. We also know, or we know also, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. Truth is worth It's in Him. It's meaning. It's purpose. It's hope. It's joy. It's everything. It's why to be outside of Him or to not see Him for who He is is such a painful place and a scary place. We share in the ministry to which He's called us in confidence And an understanding that life now is not our own. Our life has purpose to it. But it's not for us. To live like that is to lose everything. That's the world's way. But to surrender our lives, to give in service of him, is to find life because that's what you were created for. The enemy will try to tell you something else, as will your flesh. But in him sharing in the reality of the creator the creative power this book keep going out here noah remember him noah begins as the the most righteous upon the face of the earth he ends up a little bit drunk and disorderly which is sad beware. He's told by God to enter the ark and to take with him life. And when eventually the storm is over and the floods subside and he first sends out the bird and the other bird and the bird doesn't come back, he still waits in the ark. God has to tell him, get out the ark. Because now the chaos is over, it's time to build. There's recreative power being given to you. And we need to understand that it's time to get out the ark. It's time to not focus on getting church all right. But to take the power and authority that we've been given for the sake, ultimately of the glory of God, but for the salvation of many, that others would come to know of light. How are you sharing your light? How are you demonstrating the covenant through your love, through your willingness to suffer for the sake of others? to give generously, to initiate care, to not wait to be called, but to call, to open your hearts and your homes to others, to lay your hands upon the sick that they would get well. You see, this is the creative power that has been given to us. But are we stuck in the ark still? With all the animals thinking, isn't this wonderful? It's like heaven on earth. But we're here for the redemption of the earth, the recreation of all things. And for that, we need confidence. It's through covenant. It's through abiding in him, walking with him. There's a word in Hebrews. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no sacrifice for sins. But only a fearful expectation of judgment This this verse comes just after the invitation and the call. Don't stop meeting together. Don't stop being together so you can encourage and build up one another. For what? For life outside the ark. For, For the calling of God upon your lives. For the commission that he's given to you to go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven and to make disciples. Little Jesus people. We're about to enter into a year of growth in evangelism. We've been trying to build a, kind of build an ark, but build a structure that helps his disciple people who come to faith. Now we've got to go and find them. They're out there. And it's through the witness. It's, it's through those who witness to the covenant love of the Father and the goodness of God through Christ and the new covenant, a desire for God to bring us into relationship, to set us free, to heal us. But keep yourselves from idols, little children. That's his closing word. Love and kisses, John. No, he doesn't even say that. He just says, keep yourselves from idols. You see, what was true of Israel is true of the church. There's no guarantees of anything. We've been given far more than Israel had ever been given. But it's the same God. And the danger is still the same. Stay within the covenant. But John, in his context, don't drift away from Jesus. The Son of God has come in the flesh. Therefore, love one another. It matters. And he's the Lord. And his love leads us to want to obey, not because he demands it, but because we know that in that place is life. To love as he loves and to pray for one another as we journey on. Amen? Amen. I think that's encouraging, any questions?